Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Joe Knows Podcast. I am Darren, your host. On this episode 31, without me, Intel wants Apple again, Apple News, Spotify News, and Signal app. The film and TV segment, Disney Updates, Snyder Cut Update, Saw Sequel, Netflix, and Apple TV News Updates. Lastly, on the ship segment, Amazon opens up office in Montreal, Pokemon sales update, and Dave joins a chat about bands and artists that shaped the 2000s. I hope you listeners enjoy this episode 31 of Joe Knows. And it just works. And it just worked. It just works seamlessly. All right, now the tech segment of the Joe Knows podcast. Looks like... A refresher, when Apple announced last year the computers would be moving away from Intel-made chips to Apple in-house, Intel is back. Well, sort of. Intel plans to invest about $20 billion to build a pair of chip fabs in Octilio, Arizona, with a portion of output to produce the Apple M1 chips, according to CNBC report. Apple has always relied on one firm, TSMC, based in Taiwan, to produce their modern chips. TSMC has been able to mass-produce the fabricating wafers of smaller and more efficient technology chips. I think it's a great move if Intel can produce the chips, allowing Apple to kind of source out uh, their chip making to different manufacturers, of course, at the Apple quality. What else do we have? Oh, a new report from the Korean Herald has claimed that Apple will be compensating Samsung, who provides the OLED panels for the iPhones since iPhone 10 in 2017. Specifically, most recently, the iPhone 12 mini has not sold as well, and shipments are down 9% month to month. Apple in 2019 also estimated to pay $684 million to Samsung for lower than anticipated OLED panel orders. And of course, in 2020, the same thing happened, and now looks like it's close to $950 million for missing OLED panels. Well, you know, sell a couple days of iPhone sales, you make up for it, right? And this year marks the 20th anniversary of Mac OS X. Of course, this was the beginning of the second act of Jobs coming back to Apple and unveiling Apple's next OS. And to this day, it is still the foundation of the current OS on Macs. Time sure flies by fast. Next thing you know, iPhone will be 20 years old and iOS will be 20 years old. Oh, it's coming. What we want to do is make a leapfrog product that is way smarter than any mobile device has ever been and super easy to use. This is what iPhone is. Okay? All right, moving over to Spotify. They most recently updated their desktop app. I mean, I guess there's still a big market for desktop apps, I guess. I mean, people are still using desktop and laptops out there for a variety of uh, work-related things. It's They're finally allowing their premium users to download songs for offline listening and refresh the app to be more cohesive and more controlled for web and desktop users, according to Spotify blog. The update was done across both Mac and PC. Nice to see Spotify to continue their user experience, and I hope Apple continues to do the same as well. I mean, I enjoy the Apple Music, of course, myself, and from everything I read, the Spotify experience is a little bit better in finding music for you. I digress. All right. What else? Oh, you know what? I finally made the switch from WhatsApp to Signal. And so far, the UI of Signal is 
pretty nice, nice and clean. Very close to the look of WhatsApp and iMessage to a certain degree. I mean, it's a messaging app, so I mean, what more can you do to be different? Uh, doing this as I have family and friends that are still on the Android ecosystem. So, I mean, they're missing on the blue bubble, but the simplicity of the just works of iMessage. But it's always good to try out the competitor's product. I mean, if you don't know what Signal is, it's an app that was created by one of the co-founders of WhatsApp and is now actually the most privacy-friendly of all messaging apps, even beating out iMessage. How I come about this is there's a report in Forbes early in January of how data is linked to you and iMessage plays second. The data linked to you using iMessage is email address, phone number, and device ID. I mean, Signal doesn't do any of that. Kudos, Signal, kudos. I mean, there's a great chart on a Forbes article to kind of have you look at all the different messaging from Telegram as well to WhatsApp just to show you where the privacy is. I mean, until Apple destroys my trust, my primary messaging app will still be iMessage. Now it will be followed by Signal. That does it for the tech segment of the Joe Knows podcast. Godzilla's out there and he's hurting people and we don't know why. There's something provoking him that we're not seeing here. I'm of the same opinion. The myths are real. Yeah. All right, on to the film and television segment of the Joe Knows podcast episode 31. Well, according to the Hollywood Reporter, Disney is moving Marvel's Black Widow to July 9th from May. And it looks like it's going to be released now on Disney Plus the same day as the theater, charging the premium access price of $35 Canadian or watch it in a theater if it does open up in theaters in Canada here. This is a change what Disney just stated a few weeks ago that they were going to do a wait and see approach on the COVID vaccine rollout. Marvel will also be releasing three additional MCU films for 2021. Of course, everything was delayed due to COVID last year. After Black Widow, we'll see Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, which will be out on September 3rd. Eternals out November 5th. And ending the year, Spider-Man No Way Home, December 17th. What a year to be an MCU fan. This usually works. Well, performance issues, you know, it's not uncommon. One out of five. <laughs> Staying with Disney, The Falcon and Winter Soldier was announced by Disney as the most viewed show on Disney+, Plus, surpassing both The Mandalorian and WandaVision. Nice work, Marvel Studios. It was a pretty good premiere, but I am biased towards Mando, but well done. Well done, Marvel. As you are aware, or not aware, that Falcon and Winter Soldier will only have six episodes, so there's only five more as the time of this podcast well, actually will be four more by the time this comes out i think overall it's going to be a nice tight series with uh long episodes the first episode of course like i said last week was 50 minutes so i'm expecting it most of the episodes will be kind of clocking in at that time about the 50 minute range give or take a couple minutes can't wait every Friday for the next couple weeks. All right, what else? Oh, over at DC Universe, I finally finished watching the Snyder Cut. It was sure long at four hours and two minutes. The movie itself was broken into six parts with an epilogue for the end. Another tidbit was that the format was actually sh shot and shown on 4x3, which fits the television, but strange to watch the blackboards on the side as opposed to the vertical 
horizontal lines we would see on a 16 by 9. Overall, great character development of both the Flash and Cyborg. The fight scenes with Darkseid was quite fun to watch. Snyder, sir, well done. Well worth the wait for the Snyder Cut. Go watch it on HBO Crave or HBO Max in the U.S. All right, what else do we have? You know, Variety is reporting that Lionsgate is now setting up May 14th for Spiral from the Book of Saw to open. Hello, Mr. Hindle. Or as they called you around the hospital. The ninth installment stars Chris Rock and Samuel L. Jackson. More Saw for us. I mean, this is the ninth installment. Crazy. I really enjoyed the series. And now, with some new blood in the main roles, I'm looking forward to more Saw. Well, over at Netflix, one of my favorites, Keanu Reeves, will star in and produce Bizarre, a live-action film and animated series. Reeves actually co-authored and co-created this idea. This series is written with New York Times best-selling writer Matt Kind and illustrated by the famed Marvel artist Ron Garley. Can't wait. Anything with Keanu, I'm in. All right, moving over to Apple TV+. Plus. They have many updates for content that's coming out uh, in the next year or so. They have a new series called Shantaram to star Alexander Siddick. You know, Dr. Bashir. Look, I'm sorry about this. I wish it had never happened. But it has, and now we've got a problem. I don't want to talk about it. Julian, Zimmerman is going to file a report saying that Dr. Bashir is unsuitable for computer modeling because of his suspected genetically enhanced background. And Charlie Huffman from, you know, this series is based on a novel of the same name that tells the story of Lynn, played by Charlie, a former bank robber who moves to Bombay to reinvent himself. Sadiq will play Kedar Ka, a kingpin in the underworld of Bombay, who becomes more or less a surrogate father to Lin. I like the premise of this. What else do we have? Oh, yes. BBC Studios comedy, Trying, will now debut in season two in May and has been renewed for season three by Apple. This was a fun, quirky British comedy. Can't wait. And what's the last Apple TV news we have here? Oh, yeah. Marvel star Tom Hiddleston, a.k.a. Loki, will join the cast of The Excess Serpent. It's a period drama starring Claire Danes. This is a series based on a novel by Sarah Perry, who follows the newly widowed Cora, played by Danes, moving to Excess Village, where Hiddleston plays a trusted community leader. Interestingly, Kieran Knightley was originally set to start, but due to COVID and changes in the film schedule, she had to drop out and Claire Danes replaced her. That does it for the film and TV segment of the Joe Knows podcast. When we got there, it tore through our unit in seconds. The target has superhuman abilities. Now, Onto the shift segment of the Joe Knows podcast. All right, Amazon Games has announced the opening of a new AAA game studio in Montreal and are hiring, according to Amazon press release, it has recruited several key members from the team behind Rainbow Six Siege to lead the studio. Their first project looks to be an online multiplayer title based on a new intellectual property. New. 
I like it. Looks like this was the third studio opening for Amazon as they plan to ramp up their video game content. All right, uh, moving over to a new report from sale, Safe Betting Sites has now picked the lifetime sales of Pokemon at 100 billion US, 125 Canadian billion across games, magna, anime, toys, and movies. This would make this franchise more valuable than Hello Kitty, Winnie the Pooh, Mickey Mouse, and even the Star Wars series. There have been 70 games released since 1996, accounting for roughly 350 million copies sold. The original three games, Red, Green, and Blue, are still the best-selling titles with 31 million sold. Hey, let's not forget about Pokemon Go, which has now surpassed 1.2 billion in revenue since 2016. What is even crazier is Hello Kitty has made nearly 84 billion, 105 billion Canadian since 1974. <laughs> That's just insane what a time we live in all right i'm joined by dave to chat about i think possibly the last decade of music selling that's the 2000s oh i mean yeah it's kind of well i mean they say the year rock and roll died was uh 1959 you know obviously because of the uh the big plane crash but i mean this is kind of the the year music died in general oh yeah because i mean Look at that decade with a bunch of. I think it was the last time that you had artists selling in the double in the high double digits. Like you started, like I'm just going to count up from 2001 to 2000 and 2010, I guess. But um, Lincoln Park, Hybrid Theory, 10 mil. That's it. Well, that's it. <laughs> 10 mil be pretty no, I... pretty big now. Wouldn't it be? Yeah, but I mean, I just I thought that album would have done quite a lot more than that. That was a that was a big, big album for them. And then the year after was uh, the Eminem show, twelve point yeah. nine mil. And then two thousand three was actually the biggest selling album that decade. And that was oh three, oh three. Some uh, female artists. Could you take a guess? A female Mariah artist. Carey. <laughs> No, she was already crazy by then. Just kidding. No, um, no crazy didn't come out until 06. <laughs> come on now. Nora Jones. Oh, really? Come Away With Me album, 16 mil. Wow. I mean, Nora Jones is great. She's super talented. I didn't think she sold that many. But that was, that's, that's awesome. That's in the decade. And then the year after was Usher's Confessions at 12 mil. And then essentially there until like, you know, 2011, but we're going to count 2011, it started going downhill. We had Coldplay, X and Y at 7.3 mil. So nobody broke 10? No. And then High School Musical, back-to-back years, Musical 1, Musical 2, 7 mil and 6 mil, respectively. And Coldplay again in 08 with Viva La Vida or Death and All His Friends at 6.8. And then rounding out the decade is good old Susan Boyle. I dreamed a dream. 6.4. Well. So you saw the decline there just more and more and more. And it almost coincided with iPods, iPhones, smartphones. Well, yeah. I mean, the, I mean, the with digital, like we talked on a previous podcast, right? The, 
the introduction of digital file sharing, which really started to take off in the late 90s, which is, I mean, it started driving, you know, a lot more piracy and um, it totally hurt record sales. Yeah. And then on top of that, we had all these other artists that weren't the biggest in their respective years because of other artists and whatnot. We also kind of looking to hear like Amy Winehouse had an album that sold 16 mil. Um, Avril Lavigne, Canadian artist, had one of the biggest selling albums. Oh, you know what? Yeah, that was that. Uh, it must have been the same year as uh, Nora. 16 mil. Same year. So she couldn't beat her. But that's a pretty big debut, wouldn't that be? For Avril, 16 mil. I don't know, man. She was just pretty popular when, when she hit. Yeah. And, you know, out of, out of the other ones here, we had Green Day hit 15 mil, which was their American Idiot album. Yeah, I mean, that's probably, is that their second biggest selling album? Yeah. It is. But yeah, yeah, I mean, it's tough, right? Like, I mean, pop music obviously dominated, you know, a lot of the, like, the 2000s, right? So. Well, yeah, um, they also had, uh, the other artist in here was, like, Shakira, kind of her first, more or less, English album, so 13 mil. But uh, that's early okay. 2000s as well. Laundry Service. And then um, yeah, I didn't remember the name of that one. Uh, and then Blink One Eighty Two had their biggest album. Then was Take Off Your Pants and Jacket at fourteen. So they're right behind Green Day there. It's crazy, man. I mean, I think just you know that was it. That's kind of you know. Then if you want to, yeah, I just looking at the next time that someone broke big digits was until Adele. But, yeah, well, the female artists in that early 2000s, I mean, was that not still your Christina Aguilera yeah, and Britney Spears, Britney Spears yeah. battle? Yeah. And uh, like I think Lady Gaga probably came out kind yeah. of the tail end of the 2000s. Yeah, so I mean, like the 2000s. 2000- or started becoming popular yeah. then. Well, there's been only, I mean, I know we're kind of moving over the place here, but Adele's been the only artist uh, since. 2000 that has sold 30 million on one album. Yeah. Only one. Well, she has a lot of, she has a lot of crossover appeal. Yeah, for sure. You know, the older audience and she still stays kind of hip and poppy for the younger crowd, which is crazy because she's pretty young for when she crossed over to be crossover for adults that are probably twice her age to listen to her music too. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I mean, in general here, just, yeah, it's kind of crazy to look at um, just the album sales have kind of tanked in general because of the, uh, you know, era that we live in. Like, was there any big artists that you've, you know, discovered that are, you still listen to from 2000 era? Has it been mostly, mm. mostly more artists from, like, the 90s carrying over? No, I mean... I mean, arguably, I guess you could say the Chili Peppers were still relevant in the 2000s and yeah. pretty popular. Um, like, same thing. I listened to Blink-182, and they were still relevant. But uh, the Killers, I mean, the Killers yeah. was a 
probably one of the bands that I'd say I still listen to from, you know, this era. Um, you know, I'm not, yeah, I mean, it was most of the top artists were like R&B and hip hop and pop, pop music. So, um, doesn't tend to be my kind of wheelhouse. Right. But I mean, I still like Eminem and, you know, Jay-Z and stuff like that. And, well, it's crazy because I'm looking at this list here that because the numbers I gave earlier were from that year, not like in um, – so actually that's a pretty good number then, hybrid theory, if that's what is sold in that one year from what I'm looking at here. Because, I mean, 10 million is a lot, but I don't know if it was as much as it would have been worldwide. Yeah, well, I think record sales – in that whole 2000, 2010 chunk, yeah. I'd still say probably Eminem was probably the highest selling yeah. combined uh, combined artist, right? With yeah. those albums that he put out in that, in that era? time frame yeah. were all huge sellers. Yeah, no, I'm with you there. I think he was, so I think that's also when kind of hip hop kind of, well, like it never mainstream. I think, you know, he had big credit of moving hip hop to mainstream, even though, you know, he wasn't, the traditional hip hop artist, as in not being black, but, mm-hmm. but he had cross appeal. I think. I think he was um, also kind of. I wouldn't call him a shock rocker, but you know, like Mara Man- yeah. Manson would come out and he'd kind of do something provocative. Yeah, it's like Eminem would, especially in his videos, you know, and his lyrical content, he would kind of push the envelope a yeah. little and be really provocative. And I think that garnered him a lot of notoriety oh no i think you nailed the 100 because he kind of did what his songs were about translating to video because that's what his life was about he wasn't sugarcoating anything and this yeah i mean he might have been exaggerating some things who knows to say how his relationships was with his you know ex-wife and how his relationships were with people around him but of course you know you want to kind of make a spectacle out of it somewhat who knows how true some of those things were that you know like you just said, like shock rock just to kind of shock the old. What's this person doing? You know, like, because you not expect that from artists anymore. You think they'd be a bit more tamed or kind of, especially when they're doing videos and stuff for, I mean, it's so MTV back then before the internet kind of blew up. But Yeah. Well, I think anytime an artist kind of steps out of that, the mold, like steps out of that, that formula, yeah. people you know, they, they kind of take notice. And, yeah. you know, there's obviously going to be those people that are like, hey, wait a minute. No, you can't do that. Yeah. I mean, of course, he, it also helped. Doesn't It also helped a lot that he was produced by Dr. Dre as well. So, I mean. That doesn't hurt. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of the biggest founders of hip hop, you know, gangster rap, if you want to call it, um, you know, backing you up. And I mean, I didn't like his first album, Eminem. It's funny because I saw him at, he was actually on the Warp Tour before he got big. Crazy. Yeah, because he was kind of considered like a uh, underground, right? Yeah, and people when we saw him were throwing stuff at him like the entire set because they didn't like that he was playing a punk show. Yeah, and, I guess that's fair. But guess who came out after? Ice T. Yeah, we can't throw stuff at Ice T. Because <laughs> no, Ice T came out, he was talking like saying, you know, that that wasn't cool what you guys did with Eminem. He's like, you know, but. You know, don't think I know what punk rock is. And he starts like, I know who bad religion is. I know who no effects is. And the crowd just ate it up. Just like talking about like the punk scene and stuff. 
Well, they just, because, uh, yeah, like the Grammys or whatever that just happened, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Body Count just put out new material, right? Yep. And uh, I can't remember what the hell, what was it called? Car- Carnivore? Like Bob Body Count's new album? Yeah, I think it was called Carnivore. But, um, yeah, like, I, I, I don't even think, I can't even remember if they got a nod in the in the Grammys or not. But, I mean, because, you know, the Grammys never take, like, because Body Count's still kind of, like, metal crossover, like, rap, right? Yeah. So, they never really take that genre very seriously. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, it's Carnival. You're right. I mean, I could be wrong. Like he may have, maybe they did win. <laughs> Critical, blah blah blah. It was. Oh no! Good. I just, I just googled it. Um, yeah, so apparently they did get a nod and they won <laughs> best metal performance. Best metal performance. For... I see it there. Yeah. Exactly. But that's For... that's wow. Ironically, I'm bitching about it, and it's, <laughs> they actually won. I just, yeah, I just find uh, stuff like that doesn't really get taken seriously as a as a genre. You know, as a, well, yeah, it's a genre and just the artists themselves too, right? Yeah, it's really tough because I think, you know, the music industry itself has always been no difference than the Hollywood industry. They're, when they put out these awards, they have all these funny rules and who could be involved with, you know, winning it for record or movie of the year. Only so many people will be recognized and you know how much it takes to make a new movie or an album. And it's like you recognize four people. It's like, I'm not saying I'm giving award to everybody, but like just the strange rules they have behind awards and what's you know you know it's like they, it's so secretive with how they vote too yeah well, i don't i don't know if it takes place in like the emmys oscars golden globes or i mean even in canada here for the junos and yep. all that kind of stuff but aren't there also categories that people win that just don't get televised because nobody cares oh yeah i mean i think it's a smaller category like that you know may not resonate with you know everyday f- fans that are casual listeners or watchers of movies or TV or music. Yeah, for sure. Right. But I mean, like the mainstream stuff, they're always going to advertise that. But and then guess what happens every time an award show finishes, the next headline the next day, ratings are down. Well, yeah, it's an award show. Like yeah. I'm not sure what you guys expect every year. You're the only ones that really take it that serious. Yeah. <laughs> And it's just like, I'm not sure what it is that having to win a Grammy, you know, does that do anything for you? Like, I mean, like, does it boost sales? Maybe for a bit, but in general, what does that get you? doesn't mean everybody wants to come, hottest producer, new artist, who wants to come work with you now? Like, I don't think... Yeah, I think, I think it might help a little bit. Like, I mean, if you're, I don't know, a movie producer that's, you know, one so many awards people are like oh well you know a studio is going to be like well yeah i mean this guy can probably deliver the end product that we want i don't know but but i mean you would look at you know something like along the lines we'll just we'll use avengers for instance you know like i'm not gonna win any oscars for that but they're not going to be asking the, the russo brothers to go direct some drama which they have just recently a new one but no one's going to go watch it well, yeah, not saying, guess, not saying yeah. no one's going to watch it. I'm just saying, like, it's so different where it's like I, music's different, I think, from movies for awards. Like, if you have something popular in music, you, a lot of times you will be cleaning up at the Grammys or all the award shows. 
But for movies, if it's popular, it's like anti-Oscar. It's like, no, 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 no. We, we don't need those big, big blockbusters here. You know, anyone can do that. I think it's the two key differences I've seen in the Grammys and the Oscars, which are the top awards for each industry, where music, it does matter that you need album sales to a certain extent, right? Mm-hmm. Oscars, you don't. You can, I can tell me the last five Oscar movies. People probably don't have a clue because yeah, I don't. they're not <laughs> they're not popular movies in the sense of popular as in like mainstream audience that's seen it you know hundreds of millions of times in the sense of box office numbers. But like even this year and stuff, they haven't announced it yet. I think it's actually coming up this weekend here. For oh no, sorry, they already announced the, like the movies and stuff, but. Like the biggest award going this year is for Mank. Really? Do you know what that is? No. Exactly. <laughs> it's a it's a David Fincher movie that he directed. It got released in theaters for a bit, but it's a Netflix slash David Fincher who directed, you know, oh, okay. Fight Club and The Social Network and Curry Case of Benjamin. But that's got the most awards right now leading into the Oscars, but but that's what I mean. It's just like because of COVID, obviously numbers aren't be that big and stuff. But yeah, I haven't watched like Oscars or awards for the last three or four years for sure. Um, Maybe five. I'm like on and off on it, like depending on what show, like we know what movies are, you know, kind of being up for it. Like I mean, we watched Parasite. Uh, I said I tried to get Charlie to watch it. She wouldn't, but it's a really well done movie. It's a South Korean. I movie. liked it. Yeah, it's good, eh? That's a, yeah. Me and Andrew saw it. it was good, yeah. yeah. It was not what I expected at all. No, you know what? I really <laughs> thought it was going to be a like zombie movie. I don't know why, because of the, like you know, I thought just that the title. Yeah, I thought people were going to get sick and then go on. It's just more of a play on the word of what society's like. Yeah. No, it was it was definitely good, but it was it was not what I expected. Had, yeah. uh, expected at all. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I'm going back to the music stuff. I really. You know, for this decade, I mean, it's just I didn't really discover new artists. I mean, I don't mind Linkin Park, but again, I only like a handful of their songs from each album. It wasn't like one continuous album was fantastic for me. And I would have to say I was a really big fan of the Eminem show album. I thought that was a really well done album. Yeah. Oh, no, I like that album, too. And then, um, of course, Evanescence actually came out that decade as well. And it kind of just... Down sideways after that. Not sure what happened. Yeah, she, I mean, I, I can't remember her name. What's her name? Amy something, right? Yeah, Amy. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. That's bugging me now here. I really can't remember her name to, for the life of me, but actually, she's an amazing singer. And, you know, I think she could probably sing any style of music. She could, you know, go be a pop star if she wanted to. I mean, it's not her thing, but, but yeah, I don't know if, um, Amy if Lee. Yeah, if their sound is just so niche that, that there's, you know, it's like people who are fans of Tool or Nine Inch Nails or whatever, right? Like, there's a certain crowd, a certain listener for those styles of, and I'm not saying Evanescence is like full-on industrial, but it's got that vibe, right? Oh, I, I agree 100%. That's with like Nine Inch Nails and those other bands that kind of, they build a huge following, but they're almost, I don't, don't want to say acquired taste, but it it almost is because it's like they have the sound and this dedication to their music and that when you get it, you get it and that you're like, that's 
why I love this band or artist. And you do everything to go watch them, see them live. Like, same with Nine Inch Nails. I never, I liked some of the stuff. I just never got it. How some people are yeah. just obsessed with them. I guess it's no different than me saying I was obsessed with, you know, Guns N' Roses and Green Day and whatnot. And, you know, coming back around now, it's crazy after reading that Bad Religion book. Like, I'm like all back into like hardcore Bad Religion after reading that the biography book. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, I mean, the 2000s, right? Like, you're talking about people who are, very specific fans or uh mm-hmm. you know there's kind of like a I don't know, like a cult following to a lot of these like i mean you had the black keys oh yes were that's another big really one. popular yeah. in the 2000s yeah. and kings of leon yep kings of leon right and they they're all kind of in that sort of realm where they've they've got like their really hardcore followers and other people can listen to them and you know especially their hit singles and stuff they're pretty good the average listener's not really going to enjoy like a full album of either of those two bands. Yeah. Well, it was also the decade that birthed, uh, you know, one of Alberta's biggest bands too. that we've talked about on a very early podcast. Alberta's biggest bands. What, Nickelback? Yeah. Like, With the, they were 2000? Yeah, they're 2001, I believe. Yep, two, two, well... Like their they their breakthrough was obviously Silver Side Up, I would think, right? Because I, I thought they would have started late nineties, but I guess well, you know, since they did, when they were they first, did, yeah. like blew up on the scene. Is, you yeah, is this 2000. decade? Yeah, yeah, that's fair. And arguably, like them selling, I just looking here real quick is ten million on that album, and it took a while for that one, and then of course. Right after that, they sold all the right reasons. Was eleven million. So like back to back, is that diamond status? Right, I believe is what ten million. Oh yeah, I mean that's pretty incredible to have a Alberta band that sold that much. That is loath. I know people that it's almost like a niche band. I don't want to say it's niche band, but like how people like you don't know anyone that you've met that like them, but they come to Canada and they're sold out everywhere still. Yeah, that's, I mean, I don't hate them, but I mean, I don't listen to them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they have a couple tunes that are, they're not too bad. They're heavier ones. But uh, yeah, I don't know. They're kind of like a, like an alternative rock, softer version of like what Metallica turned into or something. Yeah. Like, I don't know. To me, Nickelback's always come off as like a softer Metallica, but like not the good Metallica. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, it's almost like, I don't know, like Christian rock or something. <laughs> but they have like a... Even though they're not. But yeah. Yeah. You know, and... I'm not saying all Christian rock is bad. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. Just, <laughs> you know. Yeah. There are some really, like, there's a band called Jars of Clay, which they have some pretty cool, you know, guitar work in there, some cool stuff. Yeah. But anyways. Yeah, no, it's... Uh, and then, of course, it also saw, like, this past decade, it saw the birth of... Uh, American Idol. Mm. Right? They had arguably probably only a few artists that broke out big. I would think, you know, Kelly Clarkson's probably one of the biggest. And after that would be probably Carrie Underwood. They kind of broke out from that to mainstream where they're still top artists now. Yeah. But that I means Kelly Clarkson do anything musically now or she just hosts things, yeah, i think right? she just hosts things now i mean i think um 
you know, I guess people, once you start, I mean, I can't imagine being an artist writing album after album after album and it not being well received after so many albums. And, yeah. you know, you just tour on your old stuff, which is still fine, but I'm not saying that's why she, you know, is not making music as much anymore, but I mean, I guess if you really love it, you just continue doing it regardless of how much you sell, right? Because you've already made your you already made your killing. That's true. But um, yeah, I mean, that's I guess another thing that impacted the music industry somewhat. But I'm not sure if it was. Do you think American Idol is no different than creating a band or an artist, like manu- like a manufactured manu- yeah, manufactured manufactured. Band? I think a little bit, but uh, it's maybe a little different because obviously, I mean, these people are coming and I mean, I guess you could say it's the same because they're like, they're giving them a platform to come and try out. And then they're basically saying, you have what it takes. You're, you've got what we're looking for. It's the same way you would do a manufactured band. So, because I mean, um, it continued. I'm not saying that the artists that perform on these uh, talent shows, Yeah, I mean, it's really what they are, right? There's a talent show, but the artists that, perform on i'm not saying they're not you know world-class performers or artists um that they're not the top of you know like their game or whatever but it's just i don't know if if they if they paid their dues and just i'm not saying that they wouldn't become famous but they just being able to jump in the limelight and get your foot in the door with like these big judges and have these connections it's kind of like you're um, one up on like even getting attention of a AR or a, just a big music exec to look listen to your yeah, music. Well, to to jump through all the hoops and to you know work from the ground up where you've got a you know you're just going out and playing small venues and you know earning a fan at a time, or as opposed to like going on TV and you know singing and performing in front of millions of people like right away. Um. You know, not saying that any of these people perform don't do these like pay your dues and the small work up from the bottom, mm-hmm. and then they they finally get their break on American Idol or something. But yeah, it's it's kind of tricky, right? Because these executives that are going to be the ones who like, hey, you've got talent. We saw you on American Idol. We're going to give you a contract. Come work with us. Yeah, you know, it's like it, they are looking for employees, basically. Oh yeah. So so yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's. I have mixed feelings on that kind of stuff. I'm not saying that those artists don't deserve to have that fame and you know be known for their great talents. It's just that sometimes I'm kind of a little uncomfortable with how they're discovered or how they're kind of exploited in that sense. Yeah. No, I hear you. It's just kind of like um, it was like almost, I guess, the new way, I guess, of more or less. Um being discovered by artists or sorry by uh, music music execs it's funny because i just thought of that because one of the uh people from um it was the x factor show which happened later in the in the next decade that you know the band fifth harmony came out with and they were the biggest one out of x factor and they didn't even finish in the top three Oh, no. And then they went on to like sell millions of records after. It's crazy. Like that. I mean, that's just how some of those things are now, right? Like. Yeah, I mean, 
I, I guess it depends on how they get voted or if it's judge votes or if it's audience votes. But I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess bottom line is they still get a huge platform. Well, like, you know, looking at the platform of YouTube video where, because a lot of, you know, artists also use leveraging that these days, you know, when they couldn't have MTV to watch your stuff because, you know, they only rotate top songs or top videos and whatnot. And uh, our friend, GNR, they reached the Bill and Daughter Club, the Bill and View Club, sorry, November Rain. Yeah. Which is crazy. Oh, it's such a such a long song. I don't, how did that? <laughs> how many people really watched it right till the end? No kidding. And like um, the reason I was saying that because I think it was one of their songs. Oh, no, maybe it wasn't one of their songs. I thought it was, but uh, no, I thought it was. I thought it was one of the Fifth Harmony songs that reached. Well, you know what? It's. What does like Fifth Harmony? I've heard the name, but what what songs? Work, hit? work, work. You know, is that one of those work <laughs> songs that we talked about a long time ago? Yeah. What else do they sing? That's probably like, the biggest song they've sang. A few other kind of they're more R and B style yeah. music, but um, I mean, the one girl uh, she left the band, uh, Camilla Cabello. Oh, uh, okay. I know who she is. Yeah. yeah. So she left and obviously became a bigger star, even without the band. I mean, she got her break with the band, right? But, um, anyways, I was trying to look yeah. up the top stuff. I thought it was on there, but it's crazy that the most YouTube video song of all time is not even a song. Well, it, it's a song. I think we talked about it before, anyways. Mummy Shark? Yeah. Baby Shark. <laughs> or ba- baby Shark, yeah. whatever. I'm like, what? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. That is definitely crazy. Yeah, so, all right, man. Well, thanks for coming on today. That's fantastic. Uh, that does it for the Joe Knows Podcast, episode 31. Subscribe if you haven't done so. Share with your family and friends. You can follow me at Twitter at Knows Podcast, Instagram at Joe Knows.podcast, Facebook at Joe Knows Podcast. Till next time, Joe out. You waited this long to stop debating Cause I'm back, I'm on the rag and ovulating I know that you got a job, Miss Cheney But your husband's heart problem's complicating So the FCC won't let me be Or let me be me, so let me see They try to shut me down on MTV But it feels so empty